back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am once again joined by some of my friends from CGS. Uh, something we always talk about doing, we say, oh, we're going to do this at least every six months. We never get it done again in less than a year. <laughs> it never happens. Uh, we have Chris Everly with us, who, Chris, this has got to be like your fifth or sixth time on the show, right? I'd say so, Paul, and I'm, as always, happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm always happy to have you on, but this is the very first time that I'm managing to get Shane Mulholland on with us. Yay. Thanks for coming on, Shane. Oh, it is our first me. time recording together because I did manage to squeeze in a visit at CBS a couple yeah. of months ago. So this, this is, it's cool to, to return, either return the favor or have you return the favor or whatever it may be. I don't even Sure. <laughs> but uh, thanks for coming on. I was looking forward to having you guys. We're going to split this up in two, though, because uh, Ian Levenstein and Adam Murdo were supposed to come on as well. But schedules just did not line up. So rather than just keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, we decided, you know, we'll split it into two shows. And, yeah. uh, you know, like I had said then, when we do that, if you guys are available, you're more than happy to join it. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. But that said, uh, Chris and I were talking before we started to record about that I've been going a little nuts lately and I've been spending a lot more money on old comics than, than I used to or that I should. <laughs> but thankfully, my wife is an enabler, as I've said many times on this show. And, uh, and she doesn't get mad at me when I come home and say, yeah, I spent a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I've been going crazy buying. The biggest thing that I've been getting, uh, or the thing I'm happiest at hearing, is I've gotten I think, four or five issues of Amazing Spider-Man below issue 40, for less than $40. Wow. So I, it's been a long time since I was able to fill one of those holes in that collection. Yeah. You know, I, I, again, I was telling Chris, I, I only go up to issue 300 is my top number. I don't, I don't go beyond that because I have to limit myself somewhere. Yeah. I had a solid run from issue 48 up. But below that, I probably have about 15 of the 47 issues. So okay. it gives me a lot that I need. And just to, to be filling in four or five spots really that's amazing makes me happy well yeah. paul if, if, if you accept blue low grade you'll be able to get most of those issues you know, i was at a, a show a couple of months ago they had a show once a month over in uh melville new york which is only 10 minutes away from us. and it's it's purely a comic show there's no entertainment stuff it's just back issues no creators and i found a dealer who had you know decent amount of older stuff and most of the things were in a box for 20 bucks a book and you know, it was quality stuff but then when you went further they had a, a you know a, a divider that said you know a hundred dollars and i was looking through there and you know it's harder for me to justify being a hundred dollars a book but i saw a copy of spider-man let's say 15 the first mysterio nice uh, and, and I pulled that out, so $100 on buying And it was in nice shape. And, and I handed it to him, and he was like, you know, this wasn't over here. He puts me $20. And he says, oh, no, no, it's over here. And, and he says, okay. And he says, look at it. He says, uh, it's $500. <laughs> and 
I, I, said, whoa, I, thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought it was a hundred hours. <laughs> he says, "No, no, no." He says, "From here to here was a hundred. Everything beyond that is, is we tell you the price when we pull it out." Did he have a sign? Did he? I have to speak as an old retailer now. Did he have a sign indicating that? He had a divider, but the divider was not clear as to what it said. Yeah, that's crappy so, retailing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I kind of give him the I give him the credit for actually having separated from the one hundred dollar books. But not However. having it marked as to what it is, I just thought everything past that one hundred dollar mark was sure. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, this is just you know, both as a customer and then all the years I, I was I was selling books. Anyone who doesn't have price tags in their books, I walk away immediately. Walk away, because to me worst, that's just that's just shady right off the bat. The worst stores that I've dealt with, and there's only a handful of them that I've dealt with, and I, and I will only go to stores that do this once because once I walk out. I walk is the ones that don't have anything more, and then you walk up to the register and they pull out a price. No, yeah. no, no, yeah. No, 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 no. First of all, I don't pay price by prices. Right? Yeah, that's too fluid. No way. Yeah. Plus, I mean, not to be too cynical, but you know, in some cases, they may be assuming that the per- that the potential buyer doesn't have the knowledge necessary to know whether or not they're being ripped off. Yeah, because you know, call me crazy, but some comic book dealers are kind of slimy. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's just my, it's like any other business. You're gonna yeah, give, well, my, give my, my respect, and you can, well, you can. Yeah, well, yeah. In, in that business, there's there's a preponderance of people that you know you should be very wary of. Yeah. So, the Simpsons guy exists for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, Paul, your your Spider-Man collection sounds like my Justice League collection. I have from the most recent issue before they stopped making them for now, all the way back to. <laughs> gosh, it's got to be like in the fifties of the original series. And and everything front, and then from that point down to one, I have some sporadic ones. I think the lowest one I have is like fourteen or thirteen, and I'm missing I think like thirty five issues total from number one to whatever that number is that I have the complete run then. And I don't, of course, I don't have Brave and the Bold three issues. There, I, I don't have those at all. But I have I the DC archives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have the archives. So that encompasses everything that. I am missing. Um, so in that sense, I do have a complete readable run, but I, the issues themselves, I'm missing probably like 30, 35 issues. The Justice League was never my go-to. I've always loved the Justice League. It was never my go-to as far yeah. as collecting. I was always more of a Marvel guy. Uh, but I've recently, and then I'm talking within the last six months, added some issues without breaking the bank on any of them. I've added issues 19, 20, 24, and 35. So, nice, you know, and I, awesome. I don't think I don't think I spent more than fifteen dollars for anything. That's fantastic. You know, when when I could find them like that, so you know, I, I can't help myself. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't want to go beyond our time crunch because I know at some point you guys are going to say, "Enough, let me go." <laughs> uh, so we, we we are going with a normal format: Marvel, or DC, and, and an indie. But as the guests, my tradition is I always like the guests to pick what order we go in. You want to go oh, first, that's fine. You want to go last, that's fine. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. Any preference, Chris? I, I think we should start with uh, I think we start with ElfQuest because I'm excited to talk about that book. Okay. So I'm going to give a little ElfQuest history for you, or at least my ElfQuest history. Please do. Back in the late 70s, because I am a little bit of dirt, 
was when I first got my driver's license. And my mom would go to a place where her sisters were, where they worked, actually, in Bay Ridge, New York. I, I lived in Marine Park, New York. She was on Bay Ridge, which is about half an hour away. On the weekends, like on a Saturday during the day, she'd go spend time with her sisters. And a lot of times, so that I could use the car, I'd drop her off, I'd have the car for the day, and then I'd pick her up at the end of the day. And those were the opportunities where I would stop by this one store in Bay Ridge where they had different things from the comic book stores that were in my neighborhood. And that's where I discovered ElfQuest. And it was the only store I ever saw ElfQuest in in those days. And uh, the listeners can't uh, appreciate the uh, video, but I have the, you know, the original run. I have about 10 issues of it. And they went for a buck and a quarter each, so they were very expensive. Yeah. I thought the series was just awesome back then. And it, it, it had a, a real, like, Lord of the Rings feel to it. Uh, and, and I remember being very into it. It's funny because I haven't broken these out in forever. But I, even in 81 or 82, I bought the ElfQuest Gathering. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I really was into it. Then when, I, when Facebook started, I became friends on Facebook with Wendy and Richard Peeney. Uh, Get out. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. Except, <laughs> except that... They kept posting political things. Now, I don't care if I agree with you or don't agree with you on the political stuff. I don't really see, want to see it on Facebook, to be honest with you. Yeah. And somebody actually called them out on it and said, you know, you have to post so much political stuff. And I don't even remember. I, I don't remember if they were uber-liberal or uber-conservative. It doesn't matter. Uh, but they just kind of gave the theoretical middle finger to that person and said, if you don't like it, unfriend us. And I just... Took took the bull took the bull by the horns and I understood them. <laughs> I was not the one who called them out on it, but I just thought that was so so callous to just say, "Oh, I don't care. I'm posting my political stuff." I, uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, but I be that as it may, uh, I still am to this day very very impressed with what they did with the series because they just pretty much did this all on their own in the beginning. And if you look at this issue. Some of it is clearly done like on an old typewriter in, in the, uh, yeah. the, the text pages. Now it's part of the charm of it. I loved it. It, it is yeah. part of the charm. I agree. But, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of initiative and a lot of guts to self-publish this, excuse me, this stuff, at, at, you know, at, especially at that time. Oh, yeah. What was it, 1978, I think I read? Yeah. So it, it's, it's very, very impressive, I feel uh, and, and the work, you know, the work is beautiful. So I think the stories, I, I don't remember all the details of the stories. And I, I even though, like I said, I bought the Old Quest Gathering and I read it, but I really don't remember the details about what they gave us. In there. Uh, and when it, by the time it got reprinted by Marvel uh, and they added color to the issues and everything, uh, I was, I was in a stretch when I wasn't collecting it, so I didn't really get into those. But to give a, a brief synopsis, uh, the story is written and drawn. Actually, uh, in the Marvel comic, they give all the credit to Wendy Peeney, uh, but in the in this one, they say Wendy and Richard. So I, I'm pretty sure it's Wendy and Richard. Anyway, we start off with a, a group of humans in this world who are uh, having a, a ceremony where they're going to uh, sacrifice an elf, uh, and then we get a quick history of the of the elves and the humans and their uh, basically antagonistic, antagonistic way to each other. And then we join our hero uh, in, in current days where they rescue 
the elf that's about to be sacrificed. They fight off the humans. They actually kill one of them. So it is not totally a children's story. Uh, they return to their village. But in the meanwhile, the humans are more and more outraged over the fact that one of their people died. Then we come back to, again, back to the village where they're licking their own wounds. But then, uh, actually, we, we get a lot of uh, parts where we're just kind of meeting the different characters. And, and you know, it, it, that's one part where, where the exposition is almost a little bit more uh, basic. Because, uh, you know, there's pictures of the characters with their names next to them and that type of thing. Yeah. But then eventually, you know, you, you find out that this is a, the elf tribe are wolf riders. So they have the wolves <clears throat> on their side, effectively, and they can communicate with them. And then the humans come to attack them to get their revenge. And what they do is they set the elves' camp on fire. So the elves have to flee. And what they do is they go to the area where the, uh, the gnomes are. And within the gnomes, they're not welcome either. Or by the gnomes, they're not welcome. But they, they make their way in and they try to bargain with them. The, the, you know, the elves are clearly our heroes in these stories. They get before the, the gnome king, uh, who, who is not, not happy with them. Uh, but anyway, they finally convince him to take them through and let them out where, where there's an area that's sunny that isn't uh, on fire uh, at the threat of, the, uh, of his life. So he sends off his minion who they have beaten down uh, to, to lead them he takes them out and then as soon as he takes them out he causes a uh, an avalanche that won't let them back into their uh, their caves and they're looking at the sun and not knowing where to go and that's where the story ends and then we get a little extra added pages or a few extra added pages on here where they kind of show you the evolution of how the characters were originally drawn and how they built them up, and then we get a color uh, picture of Cutter, uh, who's one of the main characters. Uh, and it's it's a, just a nicely put together book, and it is, according to their uh, their piece in here, it is the second printing of this particular story, that they had one that was even more rudimentary, uh, that had come out, I guess, about a year earlier. Uh, and then they upgraded their uh, printing process, and I, I think these issues, honestly, are fine. I don't know if you, you, if you guys have run into them. Chris, I, I don't know if they ever came into your store. Uh, ElfQuest would pop up. Backers would come in every once in a while, not often. The magazine-sized ones? Yes. Mm -hmm. were, were, they, uh, were they a hot item to sell? No, I, I don't recall having any real people asking for them or any real demand for them. That's a shame. That's a shame. I... I yeah, you know, I, I, I just recently looked on eBay just to see, oh, do I have something here that I didn't even know had value? And it didn't look like they were going for high prices. But it's, it, it, to me, it's a forgotten treasure. Uh, I really enjoyed these issues when they were coming out. And you know, going back into it and rereading this one was kind of fun. And I think I may try and, uh, you know, since, since old age has robbed me of my memories of most of what went on in these books, <laughs> it's like they're brand new for me. Yeah. So well, I, Paul, I what, I love, what I love about you selecting this is that when he was still with us, Jamie D, for one of our yeah. episodes, he was always a fan of ElfQuest, and he we did a review, and he the book we chose was not the first issue like this. It was well into the series. Remember the shame? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. So 
the I rest usually of us, listen, so I'm I'm surprised I missed that. Yeah, it, this is years ago, and the re- the rest of us just weren't that taken with it because we didn't really know what was going on. Um, yeah, I think it was the beginning of a story, but a much later yeah iteration and, of and, it. And and what was th- great about this was that I got to revisit the concept because as Jamie was a proponent of it, but from the beginning, and mm. I, I enjoyed it far more than than the whatever one we read. Yeah, yeah, I do too. So and they did a great job of of really introducing everybody in a kind of forgotten way that I don't think many people do these days when they introduce characters. Um, a little bit of a primer, you get a little bit of name tag with the character, and it, it was just well done. It was kind of you know, to lack of a way to sound old, it was vintage, classic way of storytelling. Well, the. For me, what what was really uh, affecting me was the, the the artwork is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, right right from right out of the gate, they're producing superb uh, fantasy artwork. Uh, has this been animated yet? Because it screams for that. It does. Wow. Yeah, it really does. Um, I mean, right going back to this from the late seventies, these first appearances. I mean, the the, the stylized fantasy lines, the, the 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 and I mean this in the best possible way, the cartoonish feel. Of it, uh, it reminded me. I mean, obviously, it's a forerunner. It reminded me of Bone in a way, that type of sensibility. Ooh, that's an interesting contrast. Yeah. Um, it, it's. Uh, I, I was deeply impressed. I mean, I've seen Elf Quest artwork before, obviously, you know, covers and ads and you know, over the years. But this is the first time I, except for that book we read with Jamie D years ago, that I really sat down and read an Elf Quest story, and I was so impressed with with just. Um, I'm assuming they were probably in their 20s at this point, right? However long this is. Probably. This is 1978. So, yeah. So, you know, early on, I mean, the stuff is clearly there. And uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, just it's an excellent fantasy story. And I was, I just kept thinking to myself, this hasn't been made into an animated movie yet or, or, or a series. I mean, it, it screams for that. Just a quick search online says in the early 1990s, an ad for a multi-volume animated adaptation of Elf- ElfQuest appeared in the comic. A few issues later, the Peenies told readers they'd withdrawn from the deal. So it looks oh. like it was going to happen at one point, but then didn't and probably never has. My guess is that in order to sell it to get the animated version done, they probably had to relinquish quality control and yeah. possibly relinquish their rights to sequels or whatever. That maybe yeah. made it not as good a deal as it could have been for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame. You know? I, I could easily see this just when the era it came out in the seventies. I could see this in the uh, Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings style. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. When, when you think about how this is the time period where Dungeons and Dragons is starting to make its presence felt. Yeah. Um. You know, you mentioned Bakshi, the 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 Hobbit, Lord of the Rings animated films. Um. Was it so fire? The, yeah, the Lord the fire of the Rings and... ones, yeah. if, if you remember, because I, I, I had read the books in the late 70s. I read the Lord of the Rings books. And it, actually, I saw the Bakshi version. Then I read the books. And uh, the Bakshi version is basically the Lord of the Ring, the uh, Fellowship of the Ring, and half of Two Towers. Mm. Uh, and then what they did was they came up with a Rankin and Bass yep. version of Return of the King, which picked up from where that left off. But the animation was so dramatically different, and you had Orson Bean doing uh, Frodo's voice, and it just it just didn't hold up. 
See, Rankin and Bass, we need our authority Murd here to. Uh, yep, I was thinking that. <laughs> well, and 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 you're probably right. They probably would have had to relinquish too much to do it because I I wonder, I wonder because right around that time, of course, Star Wars was hitting from '77 on, and I wonder how much that changed the landscape because all that merchandising for Star Wars really came out in '78. From that point on, anything fantasy sci-fi, everybody tried to turn into a merchandising juggernaut and some were successful some weren't but i wonder just how many studios and and different things said well we'll do this but we're going to need this because nobody wanted to do what 20th century fox did and gave george lucas all the rights to the merchandising and uh thought nah he'll never do anything with that i didn't mean he built an empire from it literally so the other great thing about go go ahead ahead, paul sorry no the other great thing i was going to say was that as shane mentioned the the way they introduce the, – because the 17 members of the the Holt, as they call it, and they introduce each one, and you get a sense of who they are. Like the the, the narrative is very strong. I mean it's simple, but you, by the end of it, you know exactly the place of each of those characters, what their basic personalities are, and what they're going to bring to the to the group. And uh, the fact that they end it with them like in a desert, <laughs> yeah, um, which they're not accustomed to at all um, – you know, makes you want to continue with. It. I can imagine that readers back then, because I think they said they came out every four months. Oh my gosh! I think that's what they said in their in their introduction, something like that. It wasn't wow. monthly. Um, so to, then to wait to see what happens next, I'm sure. And and then plus, how did you find the books back then too? Well, that yep. was that was um, what they were saying. That was that yeah. was the whole key to the fact that I had the one store where I knew I could find it. Yeah, and I mean, otherwise even the other Mar- stores I went to didn't have. It. Yeah, even Marvel and DC. Sometimes, you, unless you unless you had one of the early comic shops, you were you were beholden to the spinner racks. And they weren't always consistent either. So no, but I had comic shops. I had maybe uh, comic shops that I went to, and it was still this one niche shop where I was able to get. There were two stores that I regularly frequented at that time, uh, and neither one of them had it. So when I had the excuse to drive over to Bay Ridge, I would always leave about a half an hour early, and I would go to the comic store before I would go and get my mom. Uh, Paul, you're looking pretty nice. good for an, for an old guy. <laughs> uh, that's that's only because you're. you're you're not as far behind me as, as I like to think you are. <laughs> so I, I just want to mention quickly that I do remember when Byrne took over the Fantastic Four, he aped a scene from ElfQuest when uh, he was dating Frankie Ray and then he went to pick her up. She was going to watch her roommate who was rehearsing for a play, and the play they were putting on was ElfQuest. I don't know if you guys <laughs> saw that or if you made the connection. Oh, no, was, I didn't look right at that. Oh, I didn't right know. have to go back and look at that. Comic. That's great. They talk about, oh, people in my tribe don't do this or whatever. It was right out of ElfQuest. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I got to say, just quickly by way of rating, I love this book. I'm giving it A's all around. I just think it was great. So I'm going to be quick. (laughs) I I thought it was great for for something. Again, I never read like this and, and, and got to sink my teeth into the very first original issue. It was, it was a lot of fun to read and very well done. And, and I could see if I would have been able to pick this up back then that, that I possibly could have been hooked on it too. Excellent. Uh, first issue. Uh, it, it does everything a first issue should do. Yeah. And, uh, and the artwork, especially, I mean, I mean, the dialogue is solid, but it's the artwork that really is the star here for me. And that really uh, tells the story and makes you want to continue with it. Yeah. I mean, she's, Wendy Peeney is clearly a very talented artist. Yeah. And it, I, I assume she was not the quickest worker in the world, which is why they would do a full month turnaround in the books. But yeah. I'm surprised she hasn't found her way more into the mainstream over the years. 
So I guess we'll call an end to this call, and then I'll call you guys back on Skype. Okay. Good luck to all of us. Hopefully we don't have, yeah, good luck (laughs) to all of us. That's right. (laughs) So that does it for ElfQuest. Which one of you gentlemen would like to go next? Shaney Poo, do you have a preference? I'll go. All right. Booster it is. So this this time, and people who are listening can't see it, I'm holding up the most recent iteration in a nice hardback volume. That's they a came handsome out volume. Two volumes of Booster Gold's classic series, um, and it encompasses the entire series, all, like, what, 24 issues of it? And uh, what I chose was Booster Gold number six because I absolutely love the cover of that issue. Oh, yeah. Which gives this great turnaround of Booster Gold and a little bit of his background, like a like a file, Skeets' picture, um, the glove, the Legion ring, and uh, guest starring Superman on it. And um, it's it's really early in the series. I mean, the, the series itself had only been out six months. This is July of 1986 on the cover, which would have been, what, May of 86? Uh, a- April or May. April or May. Yeah. I did not pick this originally up off the rack. I was really just barely getting into actually collecting DC Comics at that time with uh, Justice League because that came out right – I think I think their cover date for number one was July. And it wasn't until issue four that Booster Gold came out, and that was the first time I ever heard of Booster Gold. And then after reading Justice League for a little bit, I started to get interested in what this booster guy, gold guy was. And I started <laughs> looking into his issues and then got all of his and Blue Beetle's issues. Um, the synopsis for this issue is uh, there's just a, a young boy on a bike going for like some summer fun. And he passes by this little miniature thing that he thinks at first is a toy when really it's a little miniature alien. And his it's a micronaut. Are- Sorry. <laughs> crashed on earth he picks it up and it can't communicate very well with him so he but he takes it takes it home and eventually this little astronaut micronaut shows that he's looking for superman by showing this burst of energy in this superman shield pattern and this kid sees a commercial for booster gold on the tv and decides hey maybe i'll go talk to booster and he'll know what to do because he can help find superman he goes to um gold star towers uh to the business that Booster runs and talks his way past Trixie into Sea Booster, shows him the little guy, and Booster decides to help him and puts out a uh, call to news outlets, newspapers, and challenges Superman to come meet him at such and such a date at such and such a time. And Booster, uh, Superman's all worried about the threat because Booster exaggerates, of course, and said, the, there's a threat coming on Earth, so <laughs> I dare you to come meet me. So, of course, Superman being Superman, he goes to meet him. And is is a little bit angry at Booster for the way he portrayed all this. And Booster even kind of sheepishly admits, yeah, kind of exaggerated, but I needed to get you here. And Booster kind of storms off uh, a little bit frustrated with the situation. And for whatever reason, Skeets tells Superman everything about Booster's origin. Every (laughs) sordid, tawdry detail. His secret identity, I can't remember, and this is really bad of me, I can't remember if in the six issues, if Booster's identity as Michael John Carter was out there in the world, or if he only went by Booster Gold. I'd have to go back and look at the the first few issues to kind of remember that, and I didn't. Um, But Skeets goes and tells Superman absolutely everything that's going on. 
uh, and how Booster got there, uh, which is quite criminal. Um, and it all ends up with the uh, another little alien coming and kind of zapping Superman Booster and even Skeets in the end. And that's where the issue really ends. It's it doesn't give you a whole story about what's happening with these little micronauts that are coming through here. Um, I'm sure that comes out later in issue seven and eight because seven, you start to, you get uh, Superman and booster battling it out. And the um, corresponding issue in Superman in a Superman title is booster gold beating up Superman, same cover, just reverse, reverse uh, the what's happening. But I always love this issue because it's it's a secret origin issue, uh, even though Booster, God love him, uh, doesn't do it the right way and is kind of criminalistic in his intent, uh, whether his heart's in the right place or not. And uh, Superman's like, quite a bit disappointed in a thief becoming a superhero <laughs> and uh, <laughs> wanting to be rich as a result of it. But uh, I always loved this series. I mean, everybody who listens to me regularly knows how much I love Booster Gold and um, – yeah, this series was just fun, and, and issue six was always one of my favorites, and, and a lot of it had to do with that cover and uh, the secret origin story in the middle of it. Shane, what was a delight for me was to revisit a comic from the 80s, and this is very much an 80s comic. Oh, yeah. In that you have – and I, I don't mean this as a negative. You have a, a, a significant amount of dialogue and captions yeah. to read. You, you just got your money's worth. Out of, I mean it was 60 cents or 75 cents, whatever it was then, but um, – you got your money's worth, and uh, even had right, some thought balloons. Thought balloons, yes. But love what I especially, yeah, and what I especially love, thought balloons are a really missed narrative device. God, um, yeah. the, Spider-Man wouldn't be Spider-Man without thought balloons. Come on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But well, I think the Marvel Age of Comics wouldn't be without thought balloons. Well said. Agreed. Son, well said. Agreed. What I love though, right from the get-go, is that they they establish Skeets as the conscience of Booster Gold. Yeah. And early on, like their comedic repartee is there. Um, and that, to me, that's what's so much enjoy. I mean, I don't know Booster Gold nearly as well as you do, Shane, but um, I've always loved the Skeets Booster dynamic. Absolutely. You know, great to see that on display. The other thing that I really enjoyed <laughs> was somehow we used a vintage credit card from the museum <laughs> as currency yeah. when he went back in time. I guess the account was still open. I don't know what happened there, but. <laughs> Yeah, that, that may be stretching reality a little bit. <laughs> you forget that he grabbed the time machine and, and came back in time. <laughs> you know, I, I, I also don't know Booster Gold nearly as well as you. I, I kind of enjoy it, this. I, I, I've had a theme lately where I, I come up with these characters who I think highly of. I consider myself a fan of the character, but I don't really know them that well. Mm-hmm. And I would put him in that category. I know him. I, I got to know him better in the uh, Justice League Unlimited cartoon than anywhere else. Sure, sure. Uh, but what you know, what what I got to thinking of the is this era when this came out in the mid to late '80s. There was a quarterback on the Baltimore Colts, and that's when back when they Baltimore were the Baltimore Colts. Colts. Yep. Yeah, his name yeah. was Arch Schlister. And there was a whole big controversy because from the time that he got drafted for the NFL, he was a heavy, heavy gambler. And before he even got his first paycheck, he had gambled away his signing bonus and oh was like God. hugely in debt. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there was, there was a whole big controversy. He ended up doing time in jail. I mean, it was serious stuff. But I got to wonder – you know, since that was in the mid '80s, if yeah. somehow that influenced this, sure, 
you know, when this sure. came out that they said, well, what if, you know, what if in the future somebody had this and he did this? Yeah. I, I don't, I have no idea. If or they were thinking about, were thinking about Pete Rose. Yeah. That could have been too. So, when, when, but no, I don't think the Pete Rose controversy oh, it had, had, had hit yet. Okay. I'm trying to think of when that happened in the, well, this book was 87, Shane. 80, 86. 86. I think Pete Rose may not have even retired yet. I'm not sure. I think he might have been the player slash manager on he the was, Reds. I remember he was time. at the end, yeah. I'm not really a sports guy, so I don't know the years, but yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a big baseball fan. Uh and and my Mets have just let me down hugely this year. But that's besides <laughs> the point. That's a different podcast for different people. That that's okay for us Philly fans. <laughs> Well, you you know, I don't think your team is doing what you want either, but they're no, doing no, better than true. mine. <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll bow before your Philadelphia <laughs> fanhood. Oh, you don't have uh, to do that. Oh gosh, <laughs> sometimes they're pretty bad. <laughs> hey, they made it to the World Series last year. It's not so bad. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I, I think you know, you you may even be right, Chris, because this may have been when the Pete Rose controversy was first broiling before it really even hit its peak uh you know after he left the phillies uh <laughs> but uh i yeah I, I wonder but i i just find that the whole thought fascinating that somebody would turn that around and become a hero and that just to to make that character the hero of his own book is you know kind of the start of almost like a non-edgy anti-hero well that was captured by the, the really fun interplay was having with Superman. Like the Superman's really, really the blue boy scout in this issue. Like he, he's, mm-hmm. you know, how dare you take on the mantle of a hero? You're trying to make a buck out of it. Um, and it was just great to see the, the two of them going back and forth. Cause they, they're coming from very different perspectives, obviously. Um, early on in the issue, boosters, like all excited to meet Superman. Oh yeah. Really is thinking what an honor it is. Well, <laughs> all those years he was the night watchman. I mean, he soaked up all this knowledge yeah, and he obviously was in mm-hmm. awe of, of of this of this time period. Yep. So, good origin, now, Shane. It, it is. It is. I I've always liked Dan Jurgens' art. Oh yeah. So this this almost to me it's it's almost going to feel like damning him with vain praise because it's it's to me it's typical Dan Jurgens, which <laughs> means it's really good. Yeah. You know, and and what I one of the things I like about it is. It's so easy to distinguish to me the style when he's doing Booster as compared to when he does Superman. Mm-hmm. Superman is just drawn differently. He's more imposing. He's darker. He's more threatening in his own way. And, and you know, Superman, he's he's giving the Boy Scout dialogue and yet looking very displeased. It's, it's almost the, uh, you know, the paternal displeasure that you're getting out of him. Yeah. Well, there's and, that great panel. I'm sorry. That. Go ahead, Chris. Which, yeah, which no, one? That one there. Shane brought, brought it, brought it to the yeah. point of Superman. When Booster first sees Superman standing above him in like almost like a godlike posture, and his Booster's looking up at him. Yeah, well, any, any, anybody, anybody who grew up, you know, and I know there are people who are exceptions, but anybody who grew up totally respecting their dad and displeased him at one time or another knows that <laughs> panel oh, from the yes. Booster perspective. Oh, yes. All my dad had to do was look look out his glasses at the top, and you knew you did something yeah, wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's that's it. When you know you hit the nail on the head. When I was talking about the paternal displeasure, that's the page I was thinking of. <laughs> yep. 
So it, it's just, I, I think it's really well captured in here. Uh, I, I like the fact that he has Skeets kind of on the side of each panel during, or the side of each page during the origin, which I yeah. usually don't like negative space used in, the, in a uh, story, but it's, it's kind of well done in here. So it, it's just, and it, it's, it's a totally different type of origin. It's not something, you know, it's not okay. He was bitten by a radioactive uh, museum artifact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He didn't pick up something and it became his, his totem or anything like that. And what I also liked was, I mean, it's kind of, it's the, it's not as probably edgy as it would be now, but you know, they, they, they established that he destroyed his life. Like he, his yeah. family threw him out. Um, you know, because he was involved in shady activity and, you know, they they, sh- they show you at least to a degree the cost of that um, yeah. and what and how he ruined himself and his his mother and his I think his sister. His um, sister yep. Yeah. So uh, Shane, I assume they go into that more in other stories down the road. They do. And they end up, you know, not to spoil too much for anybody else, but they do retcon that a little bit down the road to to be, if I'm not mistaken, that he's betting on these games to help his father in some way. Um, so he's trying to make money for that and and take care of his mom, too. Um, he does have some adventures with his sister. She ends up coming back. Um, it's short lived, but she's around for a little bit. Um they 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 really take and I mean and think about this this is the mid 80s so this is the 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 decade of greed and Wall Street and yep. um and all that so so having a, a self centered e- egotistical superhero who's out to make a buck even though he's in some ways and really later years really does do it for the right intentions um at this time it's it's really his his greed while still trying to be a hero that's that's very con- uh, conflicting. And, and hard to get past at times because he really comes across as, as a real ass. <laughs> but that's always what's, what I think compelling about the character is that y- y- you have mixed feelings about him because ultimately he usually ends up doing the right thing. Oh, yeah. His reasons for often doing the right thing that aren't necessarily the most noble or heroic. They're often yeah. very human or very sordid. That's also – plus you always have skeets there going like, OK, yeah. well, wait a minute. Why are we doing this? Like, you know, yeah. Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. 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 And and I know later as 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 Booster's story pans out into Justice League and he befriends Ted Cord as Blue Beetle and they go on adventures. Ted's just another voice of reason for him to bounce off of. And and they really do. I, I love the it, this series is only 24 issues, but then there's the second series that comes out after after or before Infinite Crisis. Boy, I can't remember. I think it's after. And and it's really Booster being a hero without anybody ever knowing it because he can't let them know it. And if they know it, that's going to screw was, up all kinds of stuff in time. Oh, that's the one that from wasn't the, New 52, was it? No, no, it was before that. Okay. That, that I, was do, the, I do remember reading it. I think. Yeah, it was in I the read, 2000s. I read that series. It was, it was thoroughly entertaining. I really enjoyed yeah. it. What, what and, they and, did was they gave him the origin of a supervillain. Yeah. He's, his, yeah. His, 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 his. Really is power set and everything is created through avarice. It's yeah. not created for noble means, and he has basically a supervillain origin, and then they somehow turn that around to make him into a hero, which yeah. is it's atypical. It's just not something that was done, and I, I think it's exceedingly clever. I really think throughout all of Booster Gold's history, I think Batman's one of the few that actually knows his true purpose. 
as as they progress his stories in the 2000s um and of course skeets um and and maybe a choice few others but it's not many most people think he's just an arrogant dipstick who who really is just trying to make a buck out of everything he does but i i always love the character and i I love that they bring in skeets to be the jiminy cricket and later in other stories blue beetle helps out with that too and and it's just a it's it's just always been a character that i've enjoyed from the first time i read him in justice league number four through today and and you top it off with the fact that they sandwiched this origin in and gave us just enough story that you want to read the next one yeah not for more origin but for where does this story go yeah very very well done now it's captivating and fun and vintage 80s as as chris said too it's it's (laughs) absolute true 80s through and through for for people listening in i'm going to pull back the curtain and for a second shane was on the fence between this and a different booster gold Mm. issue uh and i'm not going to say which one that was because i think if we can find another time to record i'm going to ask you to bring that one because i think that one would go good as a bookend with this one yeah yeah absolutely that sounds uh, great so so shane shane came up with the choice of two and chris picked which one we were doing yeah Uh, and and good choice both of you yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to go again and say for me, A's down the line on this one. Uh, it's just an, an excellent book. Yeah, um, this is another one that I have an original issue. I have a trade paperback. I have this hardback. This is another one I've got like a thousand different versions of the same <laughs> few issues. And what's so, so strong what... about the origin is that, and Shane gave an example just before, is that. There's so much room to work with that and, and to further develop that character and, and the world he came from. Um, you know, sometimes some of these origins, you know, they can be kind of they don't hold up over time, but but or time, as Murd might say. But, yeah. <laughs> um, th- this uh, I think this, this is a strong this is a strong origin um, because, you know, like you guys said, the fact that. He's he's a he's a very in some ways a more sordid character and, and obviously when you ever have an anti-hero type figure that's always, that's always such a great narrative device. So are we all rating Paul or do you just do that? I forgot. No, we, it's it's up to everybody to rate uh, as much as you want. Uh, all, all A's. It's it's. Oh yeah, all all A's for me too. And I love the those eighties colors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. As well. Well, and this, you know, I can I easily tell you. see I could easily see this character drawn by Steve Ditko. Oh, like, sure, sure. Just well, see it in, in kind of the, you know, the the 60s Charlton line. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah well, good, right good next call. to Blue Beetle where he could good have been. Good call, Paul. Good call. Um, this, this hardback version is beautiful. It, it it was a little pricey, but of course I ordered it from DCBS, so it was 20 bucks. Mm. Um, it smells great. It's made of great ah. paper. It looks great. It feels great. It's not that newer shiny stuff uh it's it's just a fabulous trade dress and that's the two the two volume you said it's two volumes hold it, it encompasses the whole series the dust jacket comes off to reveal kind of the same picture but a little bit more fanfare and glit behind it and i love the back copy he's in it for the bucks <laughs> yeah he's in it for the bucks gordon gecko of, of, of superheroes <laughs> yeah well it's, right. it's the era that's yeah. the same era yeah. that this was happening yeah. in yeah and it was the the Reagan years, Gordon yeah. Gecko. God, I love the 80s. And not because I was greedy. I just love the 80s. I listen to 80s music yet. God, if I had some of the clothes, I'd still wear them. 
Uh, now, Shane, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. I mean, no, I love the eighties. <laughs> yeah, I'm, see, I'm a little older than you, so I'm more into the seventies and the seventies music. But I ain't wearing none of those seventies clothes. <laughs> so, all right, so let's let's keep moving along. And Chris, I got to tell you, if I had to bet, I would have bet significant money that, in light of the recent news that we've had, that you were going to pick a book drawn by John Romita Sr. Oh, I was a little surprised by your choice. I'm not complaining about your choice at all, but no. I'm a little surprised because I just thought that's where you'd go. That's a good but point. But you always, you, every time you've been on here, I think you've surprised me a little bit with what you've chosen and it's never let me down. Oh, and I'm going to start off by putting it. this in front of you. Oh. My Mike Plug uh, Modern Masters volume from Tomorrow's. And maybe that's the first clue of what you picked. Yeah. Well, let me give you let me hold up on the screen. Unfortunately, the listeners can't see this. One of the reasons why I picked this book, because it has a special place in my heart. I was going to ask. I was very Here's the curious. original. Here's the original. There we go. There's the power record. There's the power record. That makes sense. Okay. Yep. I did not have that power record. So. No, I did not have that power record. I couldn't figure out. I'm like, I was reading. And I'm like, what? It, nothing. It's not a bad story by any means, but I'm like, there's nothing really special happening like it's not a surprise at the end or anything and i'm like why did chris pick this book of all the books he could have picked well for those listening at home i we're talking about man thing issue five volume one very much the bronze age ladies and gentlemen 1974 oh, yeah. and shane i picked this for a couple of reasons one was the nostalgic affection i have for the power records of my youth um, which apparently were produced because I looked at the record record copyright in Newark, New Jersey. Um, oh wow! Which makes sense considering some of the accents you got on some of these these recordings. <laughs> um, it's a man wolf, anyway. Um, and uh, number two, I'm such a lover of the Bronze Age Marvel horror t- uh, titles, and this story in particular, I think the, one of the reasons, main reasons, the other main reason I chose it, Shane, because you're right, not, not a ton happens in the issue. Um, but it's it's Steve Gerber writing Mike Plug uh, penciling, and the narrative uh, tone in the book is very in keeping with I think was the progression of Marvel in the 70s, where we had stories that were even more personal in their tone, in, in the dialogue, in the caption boxes, and as both as a younger reader and now, it still strikes me how human. Uh, this type of story is and the way yeah. Gerber captures really in, in, in just brief strokes, even maybe just a, a, a caption box, a particular character, a particular situation. Um, Stanley got the ball rolling with this type of storytelling, but people like Gerber, uh, Jerry Conway, uh, Steve Engelhart, Jim Starlin, they, 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 they took it to the next level. And See, I think I'm, I'm going to say that Steve Engelhart and Jerry Conway and, uh, Len Wine and mm. other guys like that, Roy Thomas even, kind of took what Stan did and continued it and fleshed it out a little bit. Steve Gerber was a unique animal, though. He he did not march to the beat of any other drummer. No, he did not. No, he <laughs> he not. was, he was, he was, I, I, you know, I, I love his stuff, and, and I do have the uh, the fond memory of meeting him at a, at a Comic-Con in the 70s at one point. And wow. you know, even though I was a punk teenager and he was <laughs> probably in his 20s, uh, he spent time. He talked to me and my friends and was very, very cool. 
so I, I have a, a I have a warm spot for every one of the writers I just mentioned, but I definitely have have a personal uh, nostalgia when you mention Steve Gerber. Well, I mean Gerber, when you think of course Howard the Duck. Sure. Um, I mean, this story, I think, it, and I don't mean this as a put down, is kind of tame in many ways compared to some other Gerber work. I, I mean, it, but I, the other reason I chose it is that Mike Plug is one of the great artists of the 1970s in comics. And he was he, he was an apprentice to Will Eisner. And you can tell that in, the, in his, his penciling style. Or he worked in Eisner's studio. I don't remember the exact capacity, but he was he worked with Eisner for a period of time. And the way. Uh, Plug draws, you know, horror creatures, monsters, uh, you know, the swamp. There's just there's just a sensibility to it that as a kid struck me so profoundly. His work on Ghost Rider, Werewolf by Night, um, Frankenstein's Monster. I mean, he did all these titles. He co-created Ghost Rider, the, mo- the modern Ghost Rider. And then, of course, I was first I first experienced him on this Man Thing story initially in the Power Record, and then eventually I found the comic version. Um, but what what strikes me is the book is beautifully rendered. The art is, I think, is breathtaking, um, and and he he brings a human quality to this shambling muck monster that is is not human at all, um, and that that's always struck me. Um, do you want me to do a plot synopsis first? Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, as as brief as brief or as rambling as you would like. I'll try to be as coherent as I can. So. Um, <laughs> Basically, the story starts with uh, a very, po- very powerful and stunning opening page where the man thing, you know, he, he emerges from the swamp. And it's a very Eisner-esque title page where they incorporate the title into the arts. It's stunning. Um, and you then and this is another reason why I wanted to pick this book. <laughs> and they, 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 actually, they actually included this in the power record. It's so 70s in that they show a character committing suicide. On, uh, in the comic, which – and then they made a, a record for kids, and they kept that scene in, in the power record. The 70s, man. Ah, just incredible. So – And this is with the Comics Code Authority. Yes, and yeah, the Comics Code yeah. Authority, uh, it's, on, it's on the cover. You're right, Paul. Remember, now remember, they had liberalized the code at this point, which is why they actually could have horror comics at Marvel. Um, I mean, yes, we won't get into the whole giant-sized man thing crack. It's just there. It's obvious. So um, – <laughs> But so in the story, this random circus clown drives, you know, to the perimeter of the swamp, sits down right off the road and shoots himself. And what's what's always gripping about Gerber's man thing run is that. And again, we don't see this anymore. It's a style of writing that's basically gone in comics is that it's very heavy on captions. And because the man thing can't actually verbalize and communicate Everything's is, is it in the, the, the mind of the man thing, such as it is. And to me, that's what makes the story so entrancing because it's the man thing trying to balance the fact that he once was a man, Ted Salas. He has some scraps of memory of when he was a human being and then trying to, to you know, accommodate that to what the experience he's having now. Um, and again, the book does a nice job of, of a, a two page spread. I give you a quick sort of the memories of Ted Salas as the scientist, the soldier, etc., um, the man thing, he, somewhere deep in the recesses of his mind, realizes I must bury this this being who's who's dead. And then we go to uh, the Richard Rory character, who is, as Mervyn says, like the Rick Jones of the Man Thing universe. And 
again, the 70s clothes here are amazing. The headbands, the huge belt buckles. I'm just in, loving every second of it. And he and his companion Ruth Hart are on the road. And again, this this, this story is the middle of the thing. So you know, you realize that they had encountered the man thing before. Um, this is in, in Florida, of course. And I love how Gerber brings a little bit of the culture war into this story, how the crotchety ancient motel owner will not let him and, and Ruth sleep in the same room together. And they have to pick uh, separate beds. Did you guys catch that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered. I'm like, mm, that's weird, but, yeah, but it makes sense for the time. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and I she says, authority. she says, she says, well, that was a hassle, wasn't it, Joe College? And he says, I hate people who make education sound like a dirty word. I bet he's a reform school reject. God, Gerber was so good. Like, just, <laughs> I mean, he just he just captures the scene and captures the characters so well. His quick, broad strokes. Then we get into the the circuses in town, and. Uh, the, there's a, a circus performer. A woman is being beaten up by the owner. Richard intervenes. Then you have the strong man with the great name Trag, T-R-A-G-G. Um, and then they run off with the girl just to protect her. And then they see the clown apparently alive by the side of the, the swamp, posing in a supernatural spotlight that appears from nowhere. Uh, Trag and, and the clip head of the, the – uh, Circus are hunting the, the, the trapeze artist who's fled the tightrope artist. The, the, the clown, or is it a ghost or what have you, causes their truck to crash. Trag survives. He falls into the swamp. Meanwhile, the, 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 the Richard, Ruth, and uh, the uh, other girl are looking for the clown. They see the man thing carrying the clown. They think the man thing has killed uh, the clown. Richard you know, sort of wards him, shouts him, shouts at him, the man thing shambles off. And they realize that he's been shot, and then Trag shows up to fight him, to attack them. The Man-Thing reappears. Now, because Trag isn't afraid, he doesn't burn at the Man-Thing's touch, okay. which is the supernatural power, which they note in the captions. And the Man-Thing is, is just wiping the swamp with Trag, and then he starts to drown him. But then he relents the last vestige of humanity, reminds him not to kill. And then, the, then this is a, a two-parter, so at the, the very end… It, the spirit of the clown manifests itself. It's great plugue artwork, very creepy, and rises up from the body, and then boom, and 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 issue. And then I can tell you in issue six they continue with uh, the story. So I chose this for all the reasons I mentioned. This is this to me is just vintage, early seventies Marvel at its best in terms of very personal story, magnificent uh, artwork, great narrative voice. Uh, you got your money's worth for 25 cents back then, folks. So, yeah, it, it's I, I as I said, I, I always respect Gerber's stories, which are just far out. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, I mean, they, they are always just a little on edge and clearly a little influenced by uh, whatever it is he was imbibing at the time. <laughs> uh but but the thing about this issue that really makes it stand out to me as 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 a top issue is the Plugart. Oh. Uh, I've always loved the Plugart. Plug Plug to me. I mean, I know you you mentioned uh, that he worked in uh, Will Eisner's uh, studio, but it feels to me like he should have worked with uh, Bernie Wrightson. Oh, Dad, Bernie Wrightson. Oh, but, Bernie. But if, okay. if you, to me, it feels like it, it, it's 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 a, a brother from another mother with Bernie Wrightson as far as the artwork style that he did, because he was made for horror 
uh, just like Wrightson was. And I remember in this era, this is this is around the era when I first first started buying comics for, as a collector. Uh, there's this, you know, on, on the uh, bullpen page where they list the issues that coming that are, that came out that month. It's I, I remember that month well in my that this is like very the infancy <laughs> of my being a collector, and and I just you know it all stands out to me. And I remember it when I was in grade school around this time, I wrote. Uh, a book report about comics and I, you know, I made the distinction between the golden age the and the bronze age and now the current age, which was still actually the bronze age anyway, uh, and the silver age and all of that. And I had to put a cover on it. So I drew a picture of the man thing because the man thing is kind of an amorph amorphous being. And it was easy for somebody who doesn't have much in the way of training to draw. But when you look at this book and you look at the way that Plug oh. rendered him, uh, there isn't just wild pencil lines going all no. over the place. All of the lines have a purpose, and much like the uh, the panel of Superman that I that we we discussed in the past in the last issue, in this one on page that's that's numbered as twenty three, in the bottom right corner, uh, there's a shot of the man thing engulfed in shadows, and usually the shadows oh, make yeah. it easier because you don't have to yep. put much detail into it, but it's so creepy looking yeah. that I just think it's gorgeous. Good pick. Uh, and and Good every pick shot, there. I'm sorry. Good pick with that panel. Yep. Every shot, though, that he has of the man thing, that, that like I said, there's purpose in every line. It's not just muck the way that I drew it as, as a whatever I was, 10, 11 year old at this time, uh, because it was easy to draw that. Uh, you know, this this is this is a, a, an easy character in the hands of a master is what it comes down to. Uh, and, and he shows you the difference between what a master would do with this character and what a regular run of the mill artist might do. Uh the interesting thing is I don't love Plug on regular people as much. Hmm. I love him on the monsters. I love him on the creepy. I love him on, you know, all of that. But when, when it comes down to like a regular scene, like if he has to do a scene in like a, an office building, I don't think I would love it at all. Uh, I think you, you need the horror for him. And I wonder, I'm sure there is an example of it. I'm sure there's a ghostwriter issue with guest stars or something along those lines or a werewolf by night issue with guest stars where he drew regular superheroes. But I'm curious to see what that would look like right now because I can't picture it off offhand. You know, it's funny you mention that, Paul. I can't think of – I'm sure it's out there, but I can't, there's no – nothing. no images coming to my head of Plue drawing you know, the, the sort of let's call them the main, right, the main Marvel heroes. Um. You know, he was he was all he was on all the monster books, and th thankfully because they're amazing. I mean, yeah, absolutely. But you, you're and, right. Uh, I'm just I'm just shadows. paging through my uh, my Plug uh, Tomorrow's book, and I see, you know, he did some uh, Planet of the Apes. That's right. Oh well, those he, those he was great. well suited for that as That's well. That's the black and white magazines he did with Doug Monk. Those are those are phenomenal. Oh, they'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. can't imagine they wouldn't be beautiful. Yep. I, I'm I'm not much of a horror comic fan. I would have never on my own picked this up in a million years, let alone when I was younger. But I got to say, the artwork is just outstanding. Um, I I would not initially have thought about uh, Will Eisner, but as soon as you said it, there's the page early on in the story where you have a real close up on the clown's face just yes. before he pulls the trigger, yep. and yep. I can see it right in there, the mm. the Will Eisner side of it. 
good call, Shane. It's just fantastic. Just page after page, just beautiful. And and I agree. Sometimes his his human facial features aren't the best, but every other piece of art around it, and including Man Thing himself, just makes up for it in spades. And that's not to say that the human the human characters look bad. No, they just don't. They just don't stand out the way the other characters do. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think out of all the human characters, the clown, of course, is great, but he, the clown himself is a little bit abstract in in the way he is, yep. just for being, um, especially one that's suicidal. So it's uh, yeah, it's just it was it was a fun story to read. Um, I, I knew almost nothing about it. The, the closest I ever came to reading anything about Man Thing was watching that Halloween special on Disney. I was going to bring that up. Yep, a few a few months ago, which was fantastic. Yes, it uh, was. But yeah, this was this was a treat. Uh, for the eyes and and everything, but boy, oh boy, just beautiful artwork. I'm glad you fellas enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you have let to, yet to let me down on the uh, choices you've made from uh, yeah. from Prez to Black Panther to I'm trying to think of what other ones you've brought over the years, but you've, you've always picked a winner. So I, I, I would have been I would have been surprised if you didn't. Uh, what what what's the the strong guy's name? Trag. 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 Yep. He's he's another one because because he's drawn almost as a horror character. Yes, sure. Yeah. So he's also very well rendered. Uh, you know, giving him his own kind of circus of crime to draw makes it easier to fit in with the Plug style as well, because it's not you know they're not your run of the mill again. It's not an office scene. It's you know it's it's strange characters in a strange background, which you know is is fitting. Well, the page on page seventeen. Uh... When the, when the pickup truck crashes, look at the second panel where the two men in the, in the cab of the truck, their faces are illuminated by the light. Um, it, it's it's gripping artwork. Um, it, 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 there's a supernatural sheen to almost everything that's going on in this story. Uh, it's man. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when, I, when I, I look at when I look at the artwork in these stories, a lot of times what I try to do is I try to go back to the beginning again and avoid reading any dialogue or captions and just look at the artwork and bring myself through the story with the artwork because that's that's how I judge the storytelling. It's as I'm doing that, is the story progressing based purely on the artwork and am I seeing where it's going and understanding it? Now, that's not to say dialogue and, and captions aren't necessary in a book because i do think they add a lot to it don't don't get me wrong uh but i think storytelling is in in many cases with many modern artists it's a little bit of a lost art mm-hmm. uh i think yeah, i think some that. artists have gotten too into the uh i'm going to draw a poster image uh and and i'm going to draw a lot of splash pages and they really aren't bringing stories along with their artwork they're letting the dialogue do that for them uh, and that's that's a little lazy as far as I'm concerned. And it definitely does not fit with the Marvel method. I think that's one of the areas where, you know, people people blessed Stan for like, oh, you took credit, but you had the artists do this. Stan created a method where he forced these artists to put together stories that had storytelling in the artwork. Yep. I mean, yeah, we we can separate that from the, you know, the, the creator controversy, um, which is a whole other issue. But um from an artistic standpoint, the, the method itself, I mean, brought out, I, I would argue, the best of these artists, I mean, because they were compelled to plot as well as draw. And, you know, 
they were all master storytellers. Um, and I, I don't know if, I don't know if Gerber used the Marvel method or not. I can't answer that. But um, like you said, Paul, like Palug knows how to tell a story. Like the, the open like the opening page is amazing. Uh, mm. The introduction of the man thing and the issue, and and in the power yeah. record because the, the power record was my first experience with the character. You know, they 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 use that exact same page. I mean, they, they in the power records, as I'm sure you guys know, they would take out some of the more sophisticated caption and dialogue and then substitute more sure. simplified stuff. Um, but but the essence of the story, uh, including the clown shooting himself, <laughs> is, is still there. So one one of my favorites is towards the end when the clown, when his ghost comes out and he starts to ascend. That those are all very well rendered and, and striking images as well. And he ha- he has a skeletal visage. His face is more like a skeleton. Yeah. In the but he's he's posed almost like P.T. Barnum. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he's he's addressing his audience. So I, I think it's very very cool. Uh, yeah, just a fascinating issue. It, it's amazing that they chose this as a Power Records. <laughs> I, I had I had a at that in that era I had the Power Records uh, issues for Spider Man, Captain America, the Fantastic Four, and the Hulk. Those are the ones that I had. So they were all the mainstream heroes. I didn't I really I, I, didn't, had, I didn't have any of these. I'm sorry. I, I don't think I had many. Maybe one or two. Um, the beauty is now you can records, you but... can listen to them anytime you want on YouTube because everybody yeah. has posted them on there with images. That's, That's great because awesome. I, I I I had most of them, Paul, all the ones you mentioned. But I was lucky enough to have most of the horror ones too, which like they did Man, they did Tomb of Dracula, mm. they did Werewolf by Night. Um, I think they did Frankenstein too, if I remember correctly. I think they did. I think they did. And were, yeah. were they were they multi actor or was it one guy reading and changing? No, they were multi actor. Multi actor. They had the yeah. same actors yeah. in every book. <laughs> okay. All right, that makes sense. I think like uh, in the Spider-Man one, the one who does Peter Parker's voice is the one who does Rick Jones's voice in the Hulk issue. That makes sense. <laughs> well, they probably recorded remember. them all in an afternoon, Paul. So you know, come on, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my right. So 45 RPM. Nice. Power Records, Nork, New Jersey. <laughs> Copyright 1974. So awesome. Yeah, I was too. I was one. Yeah. <laughs> I was of age to be listening to it. <laughs> well, I was I was born in 62, so. Okay. Oh, so you're you're a whole 10 years older than me. That's not bad. Does it make you feel young? Yeah, no. That's why I'm <laughs> My body tells me no. <laughs> but somewhere somewhere up in my brain I'm still about 14 years old, but physically that's, I'm falling apart. That's me too. I'm I'm definitely still stuck in my teenage years for a lot of things. And and you know, I'd probably do myself well to just turn off every electronic device and TV in the world and just go back to reading comics all the time like like I did when I was a kid. Shane, you can balance the the exuberance of youth with wis- the wisdom of age. So, <laughs> yeah, I get lazy go. and tired. Just turn on the TV. <laughs> I shouldn't. Well, there's, there's, you know what? There's so much good stuff to be had on the TV. There is, too, though. There is, it's, and it's a lot really... of it's superhero related. <laughs> yeah. And it's, the danger really... that. The... Let's go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. I was going to say it's really just a, a, a battle to balance all your aspects of your life, uh, yeah. the different things you want. For the things you need to do for your 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 you know your spouse and your children and any other family that you have and your friends and your job it's it's that's 
what, in, what life has taught me is maturity means finding a way to balance all of that stuff. Yeah. I couldn't agree more because what I found, with, especially with, like you guys said, there's so much to choose now on, on television, the streaming platforms. I start to feel like all right, I'm, I'm watching too much stuff. There's other things I should be doing with my time. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then you have to, like you said, you have to be mature and select. All right, what shows am I going to watch? What am I just going to like? Ah, oh, you know what? I'm just going to let that one go because it's just, it's just, it's another hour I could be doing something else. So, yeah. So, but it's, it's nice to have these choices. <laughs> yes, and it's nice to be able to have friends that I can invite onto the show and just have a good time for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, just yeah. shooting the breeze about stuff that we all love. So I'm going to take this opportunity to once again, thank you guys for coming on and, and tell you, I, I couldn't enjoy it more than I do. Paul, it was our pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So if, if anybody's listening and doesn't know where you could find these guys, uh, I think if you look up comic geek speak, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to find them. So we're there indeed. But thanks again, guys. And thank you everybody who tuned in to listen and uh, we'll see you next one next time. Thanks, Paul. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue. Awesomeness. You can contact back to the bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at two true or by joining the back to the bins group on facebook back to the bins is a proud affiliate of the two true freaks internet radio network which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com two true freaks is a registered trademark of demanzo Corps of milan italy all rights reserved Please take a moment to stop by the 2TrueFreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.